Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my normal co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster in the Dynasty Guru. Uh, this is episode 240 of the show. Keaton, I called you normal, but I, I feel like you're anything but. <laughs> Hopefully uh, in a good way. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, normal's boring, so uh, I'm, I'm happy to have my ab- abnormal co-host, my abnormal normal co-host. Um... <laughs> Anyhow, let's get to Red Sox baseball. Uh, we're going to be covering a lot on this show today. We're going to be talking about uh, the, the series against the Blue Jays, which is ongoing as we record this show. We're going to be talking about uh, some of the COVID stuff that has hit this team. Um, we'll be talking about uh, the bullpen um, and how the hitters are performing so far. And then we'll get to your listener questions. But first of all, we have to start with coming off of a uh, massive uh Two to one victory over the Blue Jays yesterday in the first game of the series, which has them in a uh, three-way tie uh, for first place with the Jays and the Yankees. Um, you know, this is a, a victory that you actually uh, predicted on the podcast with uh, Bailey. Um, but you know, seeing how the Red Sox stack up against the best team, or we think. Uh, most of us think the best team in the American League right now. It's a it's a pretty big test early on. Yeah, it, it didn't seem like it was really trending this way to begin with, right? They were like no hit through four or uh, into the fourth. Um, Kikuchi kind of straightened himself out after its first uh, couple starts weren't really going very well, but Evaldi had a real nice start. 
handed it over to the bullpen. The batting order did just enough. It was nice to see um, <laughs> the bottom of the order struggled, but pushed across the winning run that they needed to late in the game uh, on a sack fly. Got a 2-1 victory. It was uh, gritty, I think is a good word. Yeah, a gritty 2-1 victory on a, on a first-place team. Yeah, I'm doing uh, the gritty right now. Yeah, which is going to be, uh, you know, it's it feels like a good time to be catching the the Blue Jays, and I think it's also a good measuring stick for where the Red Sox are at with themselves. You know, five hundred coming into this series against what I think many believe to be the best team in the American League. Um, good, good chance to test your metal here early in the season, and uh, so far they've been up to it through one game. Yeah, and it seems like a bigger win than it probably is in the uh, in the grand scheme of things. But I think it there is something psychologically important to uh, getting wins like this early in the season and not uh, creating a, a big distance between you and the the top teams in the division. So I'm happy with it, um, and I think it sets them up well because you know that was one of the games that they really needed to have with Eovaldi on the bump against Kikuchi who um has been up and down like you said however i have to note one of the the most uh fun things about the game last night was just how ridiculously well Kikuchi was fielding his position he made about yeah. five uh five fielding outs by himself it was pretty incredible yeah um but anyhow you know the the red sox Continue this series tonight. They have Pavetta uh, going against the Blue Jays. Um, you know, that's not looking like an advantage uh, in any sort of way. And then they have Tanner Houck going in the final game of that series. But in the midst of all of this, um, we've got a bit of a mini COVID outbreak with the team right now with Christian Vasquez, Kevin Pulecki, and Jonathan Arauz all on the COVID IL um, the good news for those players is that all three of them are vaccinated and they can come back uh, when they are symptom free. So the way that it works this year is that if you're not running a fever and you're not continuing to test positive, a three person panel can evaluate you. I believe it's a person from the players union, a person from the league and a independent doctor or something like that, that all have to kind of check you off and clear you. But then you can come right back to playing. So, um, you know, no more of these mandatory mandatory time limits as long as you are vaccinated. So um, this is a pretty big deal, um, especially because, you know, it's it's basically paved the way for the, the catching uh, uh, situation to be completely different. I mean, it's Ronaldo Hernandez right now uh, with... Connor Wong, who, as you mentioned, uh, was one of the guys who was involved in the winning run yesterday. So, you know, how do you see this this impacting the team in the short term? Yeah, well, short term, they've got one catcher, right? So we have to really hope that it doesn't spread or they uh, or that they might be in like an emergency catcher situation. <laughs> well, I mean, Ronaldo Hernandez counts as a catcher, right? Yeah, I suppose that he does. <laughs> But I, I get what you mean. Like that would probably he, be the emergency catcher situation. <laughs> yeah, he's he doesn't have a lot of uh, big league experience. So yeah, um, that seems like a weird process, though, right? Like it, this is, it's a medical situation, right? So why wouldn't the evaluation for clearance be 
medical? Why is there a three-person panel? I and think one they're of that, all, only one of them is a doctor. I think they're all doctors. I think they all just work for each of uh, a different agency. So I think like it's an okay. MLB doctor, a players union doctor, and an independent doctor is kind of how I understood it. But you know, okay. I could be so getting just, that completely wrong. It's a bunch of rando red tape, yada yada. Yeah, it's not like there okay. seems to be any great logic to it. Okay, sure. Yeah, then that makes all the sense in the world for the Major League Baseball. So, yeah, <laughs> never mind. Well, in addition to this, we have um, a couple other roster moves as well. Uh, Rich Hill is on the bereavement list uh, for the passing of his father. He did pitch uh, right after he found out that his father died. That was the um, Patriots Day game, uh, which didn't go so well for Rich Hill. But um, corresponding roster move there is Tyler Danish coming up. And then uh, we didn't mention it, but for RAUs, it's Rob Ref Snyder uh, joining the team. So uh, in the early going, though, Wong looked pretty good, pretty comfortable behind the plate, I'd say. I thought he called a pretty good game with Ivaldi. Um, he kind of is one of these low pulse type guys, and I was I was happy to see that he was able to drive that ball into the outfield to to get that winning run last night. Um, absolutely in a very unsexy play, but a necessary play. And he seemed pretty happy with himself going back to the dugout. So, you know, any thoughts on any of these additions, ref Snyder, Danish, you know, the way that Wong performed any, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel like, um, you know, Wong has been with the major league club before he's caught these guys. Um, I think he had caught Evaldi four times already coming into the night mm-hmm. um so a bit of a rapport built up there at least a little bit i don't know i can't remember they showed the numbers um i don't remember if they were good or not so hopefully it was a good rapport <laughs> but uh he at least had the experience with uh catching up all the last night also got a little bit of help with a, quite a generous outside corner but yeah I, mean, I guess that went both ways so definitely did um that was it. Was nice to see. It didn't seem like he was out of place, which was good. Which, uh, going back to your question about the short term, that's very good because that'll kind of help bridge the gap there. Also, that seems like the shortest possible step down, um, because I don't think you're getting a ton from that position um, anyway. Um, Vasquez, I think, at least from like at the plate, like the bottom three, which I think we'll get into deeper here later in the podcast um, isn't really giving you a whole lot. So really I think anything that you're getting at the plate from Wong um, is kind of contributing in any form there. So um, swapping whoever in at catcher at the plate isn't a major step down from what you're already getting. So as long as he's, he's able to kind of um, call a decent enough game, then it, it feels like, he's doing his job and what he needs to do to, uh, you know, until we get Ploiecki and Vasquez back, uh, which is fine. So he's perfectly fine for the short term uh, and whatever ends up, you know, happening with uh, both Ploiecki and Vasquez in the longer term. um, This is just kind of building up more uh, rapport with the pitchers that, you know, he'll be catching and what would, I would assume eventually be a role uh, with the major league team going forward in 2023 and beyond. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, with um, Christian Vasquez entering the final year of his contract, as well as uh, Kevin Pulecki, uh, his final arbitration year, both will be free agents at the end of the year. So Connor Wong is likely to take a backup role, at least with this team next year. It wouldn't surprise me if they re-signed either or both of Pulecki and uh, Christian. But if you think that you know Connor Wong can be a serviceable serviceable defensive catcher, uh, which he, he certainly seems to be, and a capable game caller. I mean, yep. it's not like Pulecki and um, Christian Vasquez are, are lighting up the offensive numbers here. So, yeah, it could be an interesting way for the club to save a little bit of money um, and hopefully direct that money directly towards the bank accounts of Mr. Bogarts and uh, Mr. Devers. So I'd be okay with that. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, at the end of the game yesterday, though, uh, Cora wasn't messing around whatsoever. He went with all of his best bullpen arms. Um, he, he brought in uh, Hansel Robles, Jake Diekman, and then finally closed the game out with Garrett Whitlock. Um, but as Whitlock was closing the game out yesterday, he had this weird play where uh, Dahlbeck flipped the ball to him, and it was a pretty rushed um, play at first base, and he sort of dragged his left knee across the ground and made a really awkward kind of like hop step with the other foot to step on the bag uh, to make the play and, and sort of got up limping from from that. Um, he stayed in the game. It seemed like he kind of walked it off a little bit, but... Um, and he did get the final batter after that as well to, to end the game and, and secure the win. But, I mean, what did you think of of the look of that play? Are you concerned at all about Whitlock moving forward? Like, should they give him rest? I mean, I don't know. It's it's scary to see a guy that important to the club limping around on a, a play in the middle of April. Yeah. We also forgot Strom's uh, strong inning in a third as well, but... When I yeah, when I saw that, I immediately like almost threw up a leg, um, <laughs> like heart stopped. Like, oh good lord, please get up! I initially thought because the way it was, it was so awkward in the moment. I thought he sprained his ankle. Yeah, and then like he was immediately walking again. So I, so I was like, okay, well maybe it's not the ankle, but he was kind of like favoring. So I was like, well that makes me think, oh god, hopefully he didn't just like blow out his ACL because it was like some weird awkwardness, but. No, after it, I guess it, um, Gore just said like he just skinned his knee, so it sounds like a little bit of rest. Um, it doesn't time up well though, because you, I would, I guess the way he's been used, right, is he's been piggybacking Tanner Houck, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, and now Tanner Houck's supposed to go tomorrow, um, as we're recording this on a Wednesday, so potentially that might take him off of the board for that outing, which now you're hoping um, maybe Tanner Houck builds on that strong five and two thirds, and maybe he can get through another five and two thirds, maybe even six. And then you can hand it over to the other four guys that you just mentioned. And, and maybe you, you, it's a situation where you don't need Whitlock, but um, it would have been nice to have, but I'm based on what we've said, where it was just deep, you know, Awkward, awkward fall, skin his knee, just needs a couple days, good to go. Um, I'm not as concerned. But in the moment, was like, oh, dear Lord, season's over. 
Yeah, I was really concerned in the moment, but then when I saw that when he was limping around, he was limping around, and then he that it looked like he skinned, um, that was immediately a huge relief because I was initially more worried about the right leg because I thought that he had done something weird with the ligament in that leg. Yeah. Um, and like you said, when we saw that that was fine, I was like, oh, whatever, skinned knee, like no big deal. Um so, you know, if it is truly a skinned knee and that's all that this is, um, I have no problem with him following up uh, Tanner Houck on, on Wednesday, especially if, you know, it's that's just a little surface wound, whatever, who cares? Um, as long as it doesn't impact his mechanics, I think it's, it's fine and he's probably going to be good to go. Um, but if there is anything, especially residual pain in that right knee, I hope that they will you know, give him the time that he needs to get back to being a hundred percent before uh, using him because there's definitely just, there's no room for, for risking a guy like that at this juncture of the season, but it well, seems like we avoided it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, even though D cream was only used for one out, I believe it was just the last out of the eighth. And I think we all kind of assumed that it was probably going to be Deakman for a four out save. And then they ended up turning it over to Whitlock. It was a one run game against Toronto who was at the time in first place. Right. Uh, even though it was only game 11, as, if the season ends up playing out like we expect where the Red Sox are in a three horse race for second and Toronto is the, you know, the main, uh, I guess, thoroughbred running away with first, um, even though it is a game 11, it's a big game. So mm-hmm. if you can close it out and get the win, close it out and get the win. I don't really have a problem with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's okay, but I, I just wouldn't do it at the expense of Whitlock's long-term health. You'd agree with that, right? Well, I mean, as a routine play cover first, are you supposed to, I mean, how do you project no, no, no. something I mean, going wrong? I mean, no, no, no. I have no problem with him being used there. 100% agree with you. I'm talking about going forward, like Wednesday's oh. game. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I'm not using him today or tomorrow. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. yeah, we're on the same page. I think we were just speaking past each other there for a second. <laughs> yeah, we were. Um, all right. So speaking of COVID, though, one of the things that's going to come up and that we've started to hear about already uh, is that as the team gets set up to travel uh, this upcoming week, they're going to be going to Tampa Bay and then they're going to be going to Toronto. Um, Tanner Houck will not be able to go, so he'll be placed on the restricted list because he is an unvaccinated player. Um, how big of a concern is this to you? Um, I know Tanner Houck has been a little bit your guy this year. Um, how do they go about replacing a guy like that, uh, especially you know making a key road trip to Toronto, which is not going to be an easy place to play anyways, and now being down you know, arguably your second or third best starter here. Uh, that's a seems like a pretty big deal to me. Yeah, um, it's really freaking annoying. Just get the vaccine. Uh, there is a very simple solution to this. Get the vaccine. Um, and it becomes an even bigger problem uh, when Chris Sale comes back because he's also not vaccinated. And uh, the reports in the beginning of the season were... Um, that you know, it's not a small handful of folks from the Red Sox who are going to have to miss these series. Uh, we know, thankfully, Xander Bogarts not one of them. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised that um, that seeing a leader like Xander Bogarts, um, you know, put the team first, get the vaccine, put the team and teammates and other personnel with the Sox, although everybody else around them, um, 
that leadership uh, didn't trickle down further. Um, that's frustrating. A little bit, a little bit embarrassing, <laughs> to be honest. Um, that the we, we are where we are with this team and the the COVID vaccine, but um, you know they were one of the least vaccinated teams last year. It seems like that's still the case this year. It's there's not a whole lot more to say other than now it's actually costing them games. And you look at like so they talked about it on the broadcast yesterday, but like Toronto played. Um, home games in three different places last year and ended up missing the playoffs by one game in the, the heated battle of what will, what we're assuming this division will be. Um, it might come down to a game or two and it might be because you had four less key uh, regulars out of your lineup for games in Toronto than you would have. And you dropped a game or two and that ended up being the difference. And it's going to be quite embarrassing if that's the case. Yeah, it's it's too bad. Um, Alex Spear, uh, writing for the Boston Globe before the season, called this the single biggest home field advantage maybe in the history of uh, Major League Baseball with the sheer number of uh, players across the league who are still holding out on getting the vaccine. So, you know, we saw this with Oakland. A few of their key members uh, were not able to make the trip. So yeah, it's it's definitely going to be very impactful. Uh, I wish everybody would just do it, but what are you going to do? I uh, can't force anybody to do it. Um, but you know, how how are they going to fill those innings? I mean, it looks like maybe that answer is going to come in the form of Tyler Danish or Cutter Crawford or I don't know, maybe maybe Whitlock makes one of those starts. Uh, that would probably be the best possible option is Whitlock making one of those starts up in Toronto because you don't lose anything there. You probably actually gain um, from Whitlock making that start. But overall, it, it does thin things out because no matter where you take from, you're you're sort of you're stealing Peter to pay Paul there. Then, then Whitlock's not available in a relief role. So uh, how do you see that whole thing playing out on the field? Yeah, best case scenario is probably Whitlock. Worst case is Carter Crawford, who just seems like he's sitting over his head at the major league level right now. Um, needs a little bit more seasoning there in AAA. Um, potentially, maybe they go to um, like a Wyskowski for a spot start. Um, see how things line up from a AAA perspective. Uh, if they're if they feel determined, like they don't want to break up what they've got going on in the bullpen, or maybe they end up putting together, dare I say, one of those bullpen days um, and just go with, instead of a full start from Whitlock, try and get like two plus out of him and then hand it over to some other guys. don't really think the bullpen is built for that though. So I don't think that's a great option either. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, maybe... Maybe that ends up being one of those old, uh, those old Tim Wakefield lineups, where you throw Cutter Crawford out there and give everybody the day off. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, I don't think you want to do that in Toronto, but um, no, you don't. <laughs> but you know, you you might have to. Well, it's going to be interesting to see really the other names that pop up that aren't able to make the trip too, because. We don't really know exactly who's on that list uh, still. We've kind of been 
having names trickle in and out and be reported by, you know, the beat writers. But um, I don't think we have a comprehensive list at this point of who is or is not going to be able to make that journey. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to see that for the first time coming up here. Um, getting to the rotation, though, um, one of the guys who is struggling mightily in the rotation is Nick Pavetta. He is slated to make the start today as we are recording this. We're recording this in the middle of the day uh, before the game starts. Um, but he and Rich Hill have not been very good. Eovaldi, Hauk, and Waka have been very good so far. Um, I don't think any of us are surprised by the performance of Eovaldi. I know that you are not surprised by the performance of Tanner Houck, um, but I think we are all surprised by Michael Waka. And you and Bailey talked about this a little bit on the Precap podcast, but do you think that Michael Waka can keep up this performance moving forward? Is this really, you know, Bloom finding something here that could stick and work long term? So I don't know is the short answer. Um, the long answer is it's probably worth digging into deeper. So there was a lot talked about Waka's success over the last month of the season last year. Uh, he dropped his cutter, went more to a traditional four-team fastball, uh, leading the way for his arsenal, um, limited, um, or had success, um, and kind of seemed like things were trending in the right direction. Still some underlying issues within that success, though, mainly being his uh, hard contact allowed was still through the roof and was prone to giving up gopher balls. Um, So it didn't, whether or not that was sustainable was kind of up in the air. Interestingly enough, he's brought back the cutter. He's thrown it about 15% of the time now. But his hard hit rate is like in the basement. It's absurd. The lack of contact he's giving up right now. Yeah. It's less than 10% at this point. It's 9.5% where his career rate has been 33 and a half percent. So I feel like we have some major regression headed our way at some point. Yeah. Unless there is something that he has altered that is producing that. Um, I have not had a chance to do a deep dive on it to determine if that or what is in there driving that. But I think it's worth diving into to figure that out. If there is something that he has changed um, and is driving that success, then I think, yeah, sure, it is sustainable. Uh, However, his walk rate is almost five per nine. Yeah. Um, That... That might uh, lend a little bit of a hand to suggest that, yeah, you're right, the regression might be coming and might be coming fast. <laughs> but um, it's hard to argue with the results so far through two starts. You know, uh, nine and a third, nine strikeouts, um, ERA under one, not giving up any contact at all. The FIP and XFIP seem to uh, not be all that suggestive of a major relapse. So um, I don't know. It's uh, everything on the surface is all too confusing. So it might just be fun with small sample size or there may be something in there deeper. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it is a confusing situation. So the uh, expected ERA for him is 1.92 at this point. 
which is would still be amazing. Uh, his ex-FIP at this point is 3.89, uh, which I think we'd all happily take as his real ERA uh, as the fourth or fifth starter on this team at this point. I think there's a couple things that uh, suggest that, you know, even if regression happens, that it couldn't, it, it maybe won't be as bad as we think. Uh, let's talk first about the walks per nine. You mentioned it was almost five walks per nine. Uh, his career rate is a, a hair under three walks per nine. So I think that that will actually improve for him. Um, the home run to fly ball rate has really gone up over the last, really the three full seasons that he played. Um, before that, he was one of these guys who did a pretty good job of limiting the amount of home runs against him. Um, right now, his home run to fly ball rate is zero. Um, so uh, if he can get that down to like career levels where where he's traditionally had that, his career rate there is 13%, I think that that would be a fantastic spot for him to be. Um, and, and I think I'd be very happy with that. Um, if if we look a little bit deeper at his pitch mix too, a couple of things we we can gain from that is that his fastball usage is pretty steady. Uh, his cutter usage is uh, you know fifteen percent, which is sort of within the bounds of his uh, career norms. His his career norm for that pitch is sixteen percent, um, and his curveball rate is up from where it had been over the last two years. So he wasn't really throwing that pitch much in 2021 and 2020. Uh, that's up to 10.6%, which is a little bit higher than his career rate for that pitch. And he has made his 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 bones on on his changeup, and he's still throwing that quite yeah. frequently. In, in fact, he's throwing that about 10% more um, then he has thrown it across his career. So that's, he's, he's throwing that pitch at a 33.1% rate. And these are all according to Fangraph's pitch types right now. So there's definitely some change there in that he's a little bit more reliant on the curveball and changeup, which I think are great pitches for him and a little bit less reliant on the cutter, though still mixing it in. Um, so I, I'm encouraged by what I've seen from him. Overall, he does seem to be healthy, and we're talking about a former first-round pick who has been an effective major leaguer in the past. So I think there is some reason to be encouraged here by what we're seeing from Michael Waka, and uh, I'm buying in on this small sample size so far. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to feel good about what he's done so far. I mean, minus the walk, but you pointed out that his career mark for there is under three, so... Uh, you got to think there's some positive regression there coming. And everything else that he's done through two starts has been pretty damn good. So it's hard not to feel good about him going out there now, which uh, is not something I expected to say, especially after two starts. So happy to be proven wrong there. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's get to the bullpen. Uh, this was the part of the team that we were most concerned about heading into the season, and the bullpen has been downright good. Uh, so far. Um, so what I wanted to do here is just go through and rank in the uh, bullpen trust meter here how much I trust each of the guys. I'm going to rank them one through, uh, well, I guess 10 or whatever, how many guys there are in the bullpen at this point um, with how much we trust them. So my personal ranking for how much I trust guys is number one, Garrett Whitlock. 
Number two, Matt Strom, who you mentioned had that great outing the other day. He's been pretty much nails every time he's come in. Uh, Hansel Robles, number three, who um, I just saw today. Um, our our fellow uh, member of the, the show here, Bob Osgood, sent me a tweet from Sox Prospects, or not, not Sox Prospects, uh, Red Sox Stats, that um, was basically showing that Robles has been one of the most improved pitchers in all of baseball since the Sox acquired him. So whatever they've figured out with Robles seems to really be working. And I loved what I saw from him yesterday uh, in the game. There was one incredibly beautiful pitch, fastball up in the top left-hand corner of the zone to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Did you see that pitch that just made Vlad like throw his am- arms up in the air and just walk away? I sure did. Yeah, that was that was paint right there. Um, so the confidence there is huge, but I still have him just a tick below Matt Strom because of the issues that he's had with command in his career. Below him at number four, I have Jake Diekman. Then I have Framber Valdez. I mean, not Framber. Um, <laughs> Phillips Valdez, not Framber. Jeez. Um, you can tell that I've done fantasy stuff recently. Um, and then a huge gap, massive gap behind those five guys. Then I've got Matt Barnes, Salamora, Ryan Brazier, Big Fudge, Cutter Crawford, and I guess Tyler Danish because I have no idea what he actually is because I've never seen him. Um, but, uh, you know, what do you think of my rankings there, Keaton? Where are your rankings? Do you differ from me at all? Or, you know, where are you at? Mine is exactly the same, except I mean, maybe I swap Brazier and Sauramora, but when you're that far down, it probably doesn't matter. Um, but this is... The, in terms of like the trustometer, uh, the most trusted bullpen that Cora has had in his entire tenure. Like I don't think he's had more than two guys that he could turn to in a pinch uh, his entire time here with the Red Sox. Now he has five. This is crazy. This is amazing. Yeah, it really is. Um, and it, it seems like Whitlock, Strom, Robles, and maybe Diekman, this is, this is real. You know, like we've seen Diekman be good in the past, too. So, I mean, it seems like that is sustainable. Do you feel like Phillips Valdez is sustainable? Do you think he belongs in this tier long term? Yeah, I'm coming around to it. Um, yeah, I think I am. So, I, I actually, I mentioned this on, um, on the precap that I'm feeling better and better about him with every outing about him being in a high leverage role. And I mean, everything he's doing right now, uh, he's not walking guys. He's striking them out and he hasn't allowed any runs. Uh, he's barely allowing hits. Um, this is like the best he's ever played, particularly with the strikeouts. Like he's never been like a massive strikeout guy. Um, and he's like, he's revamped everything about himself. And this is like a brand new pitcher that they've got. And so, yeah, I think it is. Um, I'm hoping that it continues and it's not just the, like the hope of a new season, right? Like the, the springtime happies that I'm, I'm letting get the, the better of myself. And maybe in a month I'd feel different about like everybody, but 
Yeah, at least right now I feel really good about it. And the thing with like Diekman, we mentioned that he was kind of like in a, in a similar mold that we've seen, um, you know, other guys in this bullpen where it's high strikeout, high walk. He hasn't really let the walks get the best of him yet. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that that ends up being sustainable too. But I think that this bullpen is probably going to go through its ups and downs, like typical Red Sox bullpens tend to go through. But having this high number of guys available to like cover for those ebbs and flows, I think is what's going to be the biggest difference because they haven't had like – when Matt Barnes has gone through his dips, right? They've only ever had like one other guy to try and cover for it. Yeah. And if that person gets hurt or if they become inconsistent, then the entire bullpen implodes and it becomes a nightmare. And then everybody's overworked. And the last month, the season becomes just a massive stress factory. And we limp to, towards the finish line. Like it's kind of been the case like last year, which was very frustrating. If uh, Diekman and Valdez, uh, you know, if they if Diekman's walk issues creep up, right? We got guys that can cover for it. We got Strom. We got Robles. We got so he can kind of work through those, and we can kind of backfill that and take care of those issues. I feel good about that. So I think this bullpen is probably better equipped than it's ever been to handle those types of guys. Um, so I think whether or not like the individual success may or may not be sustainable. I think the overall success will be. Yeah. And, and to get back to, uh, uh, Phillips Valdez here for just a second here. Um, one of the things that leads me to kind of agree with you that I think some of the changes that we're seeing with him are real is that the changes haven't been in his pitch mix. Like some of the other guys we've talked about, he's, he's throwing his pitches, roughly the same amount as he usually does. He's incredibly reliant on his fastball and changeup. But one of the things that we've seen in early 2022 is that his velocity on all three of his pitches, his fastball, his slider, and his changeup are up by roughly two miles an hour on every one of his pitches, which leads me to believe that he's coming to camp stronger than ever. Um, and he's not sacrificing any command. So, uh, it's a really good thing. I mean, whenever you gain velocity without sacrificing command, um, it's going to be a, a positive. And I think that, you know, he's not the he's not the strongest looking guy in the world. So whatever they did with strength and conditioning and whatever he did uh, is is clearly paying off. And velocity is not typically its highest in April for these pitchers either. So that's something that we could even see improve a little bit as the uh, season goes on. So if, if that change is real and all of a sudden you do have five true bullpen arms that you can trust, like you mentioned, I mean, that's, that's great. And I will take back all of my criticism of this bullpen building um, because it really didn't look very nice in spring training. And now all of a sudden time blooms like what's up. <laughs> yeah, well, there was like, there's like, I mean, there's a couple pieces to this, right? Like, initially, Robles wasn't even part of it, right? He was a free agent, and then he was signed to a minor league deal. So, yep. we didn't even know if he was going to be part of it. Valdez, obviously, weren't expecting to make this change. And we thought Whitlock was going to be a starter. So, we thought three of these five weren't going to be there. 
yeah. I mean, having having three of these guys that we didn't think were going to be there be there and be really, really good, um, that kind of changes. I mean, I guess we could swap Whitlock and Hauk, right? Because we right. at least thought one of those two was going to be there. Yeah, and we were confident in Strom, more confident in Strom, I think, than we were in Diekman. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we were expecting either of them to be this good. And And really, Robles is the guy that I've massively come around on um i was not a believer in robles at all i i hadn't liked him at his other stops really very much and i didn't really love him last year when he was adjusting to being on the red Sox. but he truly does look different now yeah for sure all right so let's talk about the back end of this bullpen so you know not too long from now may 1st when when may 1st rolls around about 10 days away from this um we will need to cut down to just eight bullpen arms. So Josh Taylor is currently rehabbing at Worcester and could grab one of those spots. So if you take the five that we have there, lock those in, um, the five guys we trust, you add in Josh Taylor to the mix, that leaves two of Barnes, Sawamora, Brazier, Big Fudge, Crawford, and Danish. Who do you think ends up with those last two spots? Barnes and Sawamura. That is exactly who I would go with as well, Um, which means that you're probably saying goodbye to uh, Austin Davis unless he clears waivers because he doesn't have any options left. Um, Brazier and Crawford, I believe, do have options. Well, I know that... uh, Crawford has options, but I believe that Brazier has at least, yeah, he's got one option uh, left. So he can be sent down. He has been very hittable in the early going. So has Big Fudge. Um, And Crawford, obviously, we talked about his problems. But yeah, I I think you're right because of just how uh, many lefties are already in this bullpen. I don't think it makes sense not to hold on to the two righties, Barnes and Sawamora. And also, we have seen stretches from Barnes and Sawamura where they have been very effective uh, right-handed relievers. So I, I think being that you need those righties and that those guys have that capability, I think you keep them up with the big club. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Enough bullpen talk here. Let's move over to the offense. So I separated the offense out into uh, categories, guys who are performing well, guys who are still getting it together, and guys who are an absolute mess. So I'm just going to uh, run down this this list here, and I'm going to give you the player's name and their WRC+. So guys who are performing well right now, Alex Verdugo, uh, absolutely tearing the cover off the ball, has a 181 WRC plus to lead the team. Rafael Devers is behind him with a 139 WRC plus. Again, 100 is league average in this category, so that would mean Verdugo is 81% better than league average. Uh, Xander Bogarts is off the schneid and it has a 126 WRC plus. JD Martinez, 113. And JBJ, a surprise 103 at WRC+. Out of those guys in the performing well category, who surprises you the most? JBJ, because I don't think it's actually real. 
Um, it's it's like a fun with small sample size thing. Like the WRC plus is, plus is just driven by walks. Uh, he actually leads the Red Sox in a walk rate, thirteen percent. Uh, of all of the ones that you pointed out are performing really well, uh, he has the lowest batting average. Um, and I mean, it's not he hasn't really done anything besides just draw walks. He moved <laughs> so, over a runner yesterday. He did. You're right. <laughs> he did one thing. Yep, he did one thing. So yeah, it's just kind of a, a fun with small sample size thing. It's got a, um, yeah. So it's just, um, but you take it though. Yeah, and I mean the the other names here, and I think you're right about JBJ. But if we can get like an 80 WRC plus on the season from him, I, I would consider that quite a win uh, with yeah. with his defense. Um, the other guys on this list, though, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, and J.D. Martinez, these are the engine that drives this offense. But Alex Verdugo, he was my prediction for a guy to take a step forward this year, and it does seem like he's doing that. Um, we saw him cut his strikeout rate last year, but the power wasn't really there, and now we're seeing the power there. He's driving the ball more. He's so confident at the plate. Are we truly seeing Alex Verdugo's breakout season right now? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I, I think that what he's doing is 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 spectacular. And adding a bat like that that just gives you those quality at bats and has that power potential uh, to drive the ball is going to add tremendous length to this lineup. And I wonder if he's been invigorated a little bit by where they've been putting him in the batting order, you know, trusting him in that five spot as frequently as they have been, I wonder if that's kind of rubbing off on how he views himself. You know what else is, is kind of cool about this too, is normally when a guy is like this hot out of the gate, there's some flukiness to it. And his BABIP is like a hundred points higher than like his career mark. This is actually lower by about 40 points. Wow. So there's even potential for him to like top what he's doing right now, <laughs> which is wild to think. Yeah, and his home runs have just not been cheap either. They've really yeah. been kind of bombs. So that's quite good. I'm hoping that Verdugo can really continue to build off of this and, uh, you know, we see more from him. So our second category of guys is guys who are just getting it together or still getting it together. And the two guys who I put in this category were Trevor Story, who we know missed a little bit of time with that illness in early season, and then Kike Hernandez, um, Story has an 87 WRC plus Kike at 83. Are you concerned with either of these players or, or do you feel like these guys are very soon going to find themselves in the top category? Yeah, I'm not concerned. Um, I mean, Kike Hernandez had a weird start um, to the season, right? He had like a weird like 0 for 20 mm-hmm. to start. So I was just trying to um very quickly pull up how he's doing in like the last week uh and that did not work they they both have a lot of hits in the last week i mean i know that going into <laughs> yeah. um this this past game trevor story had a five game hit streak um kiki hernandez <laughs> yeah. had a multi game last... hit streak yeah, the last eight days, uh, Enrique Hernandez has a 172 WRC plus. One point better than Alex Verdugo. 
Yeah. So he, he's yeah, I'm good. not concerned about him in the slightest. That was just a weird thing. Same with Trevor Story. He had that like weird sickness. It's like that stuff was just fluky. They're gonna be fine. He ate some bad sushi. You know. He was like straight up poisoned. Who he among was... us hasn't? <laughs> yeah. I've never I mean I've never had he was knocked out for like almost a week, right? Like I've never had bad sushi hit me that hard. No, no. I, I think it was like a neurovirus type thing. I, I definitely think it was some sort of a stomach bug, not really truly food poisoning. But, you know, um, those suck. Anytime when you're throwing up and pooping at the same time is not, not a great situation. <laughs> so especially yeah. not for a professional athlete who needs yeah. to be hydrated and at, you know, nice equilibrium. Yeah. So I'm not worried in the slightest about those guys. I'm not either. I think that those guys are going to find themselves firmly up in that uh, guys who are performing well category. Uh, love Kike's game. Love the addition that Trevor Story has brought to this offense and, and defense. But let's get to the final category. It's always uh, our, our purview to talk about things that are going badly as well. Um, so guys who are a mess. Christian Vasquez, 56 WRC+. plus. Robert Dahlbeck, the first. Uh, 42 WRC plus. I will also note that he was my prediction for biggest disappointment. Uh, Christian Arroyo, negative 25 WRC plus. Kevin Pilecki, negative 27. Travis Shaw, negative 100. And Jonathan Arayuz, negative 100. Uh, what stands out to me first is that this back end, uh, as you had mentioned, uh, has the potential to be very bad. It is scary bad at this point, and the bench is borderline unplayable. So out of this group of guys who are really struggling, who are you most and least worried about? Well, if we use the rules of Schrodinger's disappointment, we can blame Bobby Dahlbeck's performance on you then, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll take the blame. Yeah. Um. Well, so what was your most and least worried about? That was yeah, like long term. I mean, so for me, like I'm not worried about Christian know. Vasquez, right? Because like Vasquez, we know isn't a great hitter, but we know what he's going to do behind the plate. And we're not really expecting a lot of offense from that position. So Vasquez, if he can yeah. work himself up to where he normally is, I'm not concerned. But when I flip it and I look at Bobby Dahlbeck and I'm like, you're a first baseman. You have to hit. 42 WRC plus is not working. Yeah, but we know he's got a replacement, right? He does, but like, that doesn't help Bobby, you know? (laughs) No, but that's what I was going to say. Like, uh, he's like, so I would have gone with Christian Bassett, but you laid that out. So I'm going to say I'm least worried about Bobby Dahlbeck because we know Tristan Casas is coming and then we never, we don't really have to think about him anymore, right? And then (laughs) he's just demoted to bench role. But the, does does that even improve the bench? Is it is it helpful to the bench to have Bobby Dahlbeck on it, or do you need him to produce so you can use him as positive trade value? But so see that I mean that's kind of like a weird thing to think about, right? Like I need this guy to be good so I can trade him, but not good enough so that I play him every day and he's useful to the team. Well, ideally, he's good enough. So (laughs) by July, you can trade him and get something good and then move better player here, Tristan Casas, to the the actual first base role. 
That would be ideal, right? I mean, sure, but I just always think it's funny because we say that about everybody, right? I need this guy to be good enough to trade him, but not good enough to play him every day. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a weird thing to want out of a guy, but... um, Well, ideally, I'd like him to hit 40 home runs and, you know, make us force Casas to the DH roll or something, but I don't think that's happening. Yeah, I mean... I'm just kind of getting what I well, I mean, I guess maybe not to this sphere and extent, but I didn't think the bottom three of the lineup offensively was really going to give you much, and they're not. They're going to go through their streaks, right? Like um, they're going to get hot if through stretches, but they're not really going to give you a ton, and that's kind of what you got. Um, that's why we were hoping uh, the off season there was a little bit more urgency to um, get a, a more stable, consistent bat down there. Didn't happen, and now we've got the rally killers down there. Yeah, it's not great. Um, Travis Shaw, though, stands out to me as a guy who shouldn't be on this team anymore. I I don't see any value to him. Uh, I also think when I look at what Jonathan Arauz does, I'd rather have Ryan Fitzgerald up on the bench uh, than Arauz, who just doesn't contribute much offensively. I'm fine with Pulecki. We know what type of impact he is, both offensively when he's going good and defensively and in the clubhouse. But Christian Arroyo is another one that I want to talk about because I think oftentimes when we look at a guy who's changing positions, um, we discount the mental burden that that takes on a player on the opposite side of the ball. So we saw this actually last year with Kike Hernandez, that when Kike was playing second base, which is a position he's very comfortable with, um, he was one of the better hitters on the team. But when he was playing in the outfield, he was a below average hitter because he probably had to think about it a lot more. And we're seeing Christian Arroyo, who's, you know, not a special hitter by any means, but is a decent hitter. Um, move out to right field and have to really focus on his route running and all these different things that he's not used to. Um, And we're seeing him not produce at all at the plate. So, you know, I I think these things just aren't really thought about as enough as to how much of a trickle down effect that, you know, the defensive side of the ball has on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've, we tend to talk, I mean, we talked about that. um, Was it? two seasons ago with um, I remember it was 2019 with Rafael Devers. Yeah. Right. Where he had like 10 errors in the first month of the season and it really trickled, trickled over to his offense. And then um, he got that figured out and then his offense, it just kind of bled out into the rest of his game. And then he, over the last four and a half months of the season was like MVP caliber. Um, and the same thing with, um, I forgot who it was, uh, but we were talking about. But they had like three guys that were rotating between like three different positions. They finally just uh, set them up. I think it was the same season in 2019. Finally gave them actual positions, and then it settled down. So um, that that mental like the the mental piece of like this is your position. This is what we want from you. Just deliver. Uh, I think goes a long way. These guys, particularly in a, in a game that's just as superstitious and as like routine oriented as baseball. Um, when you keep trying to like 
mess with these guys and not, not necessarily mess with these guys, but when you just take them, like when you're constantly rearranging them and they just can't get a chance to settle in, that messes with everything. Yeah, it definitely does. And uh, we, we see that in the bullpen as well. And the bullpen guys have talked about that, that when they have clear roles, they do better. So yeah, I think that there's a lot of merit to that. Um, we do have our first listener question today from the surfing guy that really does feed into this back end question. He says, JBJ has been serviceable at the plate with stellar defense as usual. Add in Benellis and Hamilton. It looks like another magical move by Bloom. Those are the two prospects uh, that we acquired for basically taking on JBJ. Um, the question with Arroyo uh, looking like he's already imp- improving in right field. Do they still need another right-handed platoon bat? I think he brings up a really interesting question because if we assume that if Bobby Dahlbeck continues to perform badly, Tristan Casas comes up to the big league club at some point and that pushes Bobby Dahlbeck to the bench and then your bench is Dahlbeck, Arroyo, Plowecki. You still have Shaw lying around there. That position is not well used with Travis Shaw or Jonathan Arauz. I still believe you need a true outfielder, which allows Christian Arroyo to be the backup infielder, middle infielder. So essentially, you'd move everybody's roles down a little bit. You'd have Dahlbeck backing up the corners, uh, Arroyo backing up the two middle infield positions. But I still think you need another outfielder, uh, either as the primary right fielder taking over or splitting time with JBJ. What say you? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I still would prefer JBJ to be like a late inning defensive replacement and not getting every day at bats. Yeah, and if you have that guy, that starting right fielder who's not in the club or on the team right now, and a bench of Arroyo, Dahlbeck, JBJ, and Plowecki, you feel really good about all those guys from a defensive standpoint, I think, and from the ability to give you a little pop if you need it. Feels like a good bench. Yeah, I would Yeah, be okay with that. Okay, next question comes from Benny Biceps. And he says, will Bobby Dahlbeck ever hit another homer? I think that he will. This week? Yes. Tomorrow? Tonight? No. Yes. Sure, yeah. He hits home run against Toronto. Sure. Okay. Uh, I agree. He will an- ever hit another home run. Uh, Ridgy Pidgey says, <laughs> is Garrett Whitlock a god or some kind of higher being? I think he might be. I mean, it's possible. It's not probable, but it's possible. He did hurt his knee, so I don't know if gods can hurt their knees. And our final question comes from Mm-hmm. Sustainable bullpen? Question mark. Yes. Yeah. Seems like it is. Surprisingly. Shocking yeah. to all. But yes, seems surprisingly sustainable. That does it, Keaton. That's our show today. Good one. Yeah. All right. We do appreciate you all joining us, tuning in today. Uh, enjoy the rest of the Toronto series and 
what expects to be a very exciting upcoming week of baseball. Uh, we have Tampa Bay and then Toronto road trips as well. Um, so a lot of entertaining baseball, 17 days of baseball in a row, uh, which is kind of crazy, but yep, that's happening. Um, also tune into our other shows on this network. We have the Precap podcast with Keaton and Bailey. Uh, we also have the Red Sox on deck prospect prospect podcast which we are going to be recording uh tomorrow so that should pop up into your feeds uh, that's going to be with me matt and bob tomorrow and then um we've got uh the over the monster podcast in this show the red seat so a lot of shows on this network subscribe to the over the monster podcast and you will get all of them and have to do little to no work uh, to get them delivered to you so thank you for listening give us a rate and review follow us on twitter you can follow uh, Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at Dev Jake, and you can follow the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. For Keaton, this is Jake saying thank you very much, and we'll be with you again next time. 